they're coming to us going, we want to be doing more marketing. We want to have a bigger presence. We want to improve our social media presence. We want to be at these events, but we can't be sending people around the world all the time. So it really was about making it very simple. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Lisa Vecchio. Lisa is Global Vice President of Integrated Marketing at Aircall and has previously worked at tech brands like Hootsuite and Expedia, as well as small B2B tech startups. So she's experienced localization from both ends of the spectrum. So if you're marketing internationally, then this one is for you. I hope you enjoy. So Lisa, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Good stuff. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. Absolutely. Well, I think I can classify myself as an official B2B tech marketer. Coming up to 18 years now in the industry, whether it's been working for startups and scale-ups and fundraising and health tech, all the way through to more recent roles in MarTech. And now I'm kind of in the telephony and communication space with Aircall. Awesome. I think you've done it all, actually, because I remember when we met and you'd actually worked for a bigger company. And then your next job in the UK was working for a really small company, wasn't it? A sort of tech startup. So when you talk about people being a broad marketer and a generalist, you've kind of got it all, really, haven't you? That's what I enjoy the most about it is really taking the learnings from the big businesses and being able to bring them to smaller businesses and help them scale and mature as they grow. Another piece I really think adds a lot of value is my international experience as well. Having, you can hear from my accent, we know each other well. I'm American, but I spent five years in Australia and coming up to almost seven and a half, eight years now in the UK. Yeah, we haven't quite drummed the accent out of you yet, have we? So, <laughs> well, this is interesting because we're going to be talking about localized marketing. And, you know, I don't think you can start talking about that without first discussing integrated marketing because this is where most companies start. And these sort of phrases get thrown around a little bit. But from your perspective, then, what does integrated marketing mean to you? Integrated marketing is probably my biggest passion at the moment because for me, it's blending all of the different marketing channels into a unified and shared holistic strategy, right? So it's really about your marketing team and your marketing engine rowing as one with shared goals, but also shared messages as you're going to market, right? So making sure that all teams are singing from the same song sheet, you're showing up as one brand and one business, and it's creating you know greater efficiencies between teams and overall, hopefully a bigger impact in the market in the way that you show up. Yeah, good stuff. The other day you were talking about, was it the rocks, pebbles and sand metaphor as well when sort of fill in the jar? Yeah, I think it's an interesting way when you think about how you do marketing planning as an integrated team. If you want your entire marketing org to be rowing along the same sort of key messages, you have to anchor them in these big rocks. So these big rocks could be a core message or a core theme you want to roll out You know, throughout certain times of the year. It could be your biggest product launch, but ultimately you want to attach all of your teams to these big rocks. You know, the pebbles are those additional important moments. Maybe they're not the pinnacle, but they're those things like maybe your tier two product launches or key industry dates that you need to pay attention to. And then the sand is really important because we know that as much as we want everyone to be kind of unified in our messaging, you're going to have local nuances as well, or you're going to have specializations that certain teams need to run as their evergreen or BAU. And that's really what I see the sand as. 
Mm. And when you're thinking about integrated there then, I mean, are you thinking that that's probably most applicable to your bigger organizations then? Or do you think people should be thinking about this if they're a marketer in a small startup as well? I think that's a great question. I've been thinking about it in the sense that I work in a large marketing organization. This integrated type of team is something that I feel is a fairly new trend. I've done it in my last two positions and you're almost taking that agency model and bringing it to larger marketing orgs because it really helps create more efficient workflows, a bit of order to the chaos, if you will. I don't think the metaphor has to work differently if you're a smaller org because you still want to have planning that's anchored in meaningful moments, right? So you can still apply it in a smaller capacity. It's just going to be less complex in terms of how all the different functions need to row together, Mm. less stakeholders. Mm. And when we think about localized marketing itself, then from where you've been sat, then what are some of the key benefits that these companies have then when they are rolling out a localized marketing strategy? Yeah, it's a great question because it's super important. And I want to make sure everyone's clear that when we talk about localization, we're not talking about just translations. We're talking about being really meaningful in each of your markets. So there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first is really about being able to have a local impact. And what I mean by that is every market's going to have a different level of maturity. It's going to have a different sort of market requirement. So as much as we want to achieve efficiency and scale, we also have to recognize that markets will be at different levels of maturity. Your marketing strategy will need to change based on that. So you may be focusing more on brand awareness and a new market you might be entering in, or maybe more mature markets you're focusing on your expansion or retention strategy. So that's kind of point one. The second is really about local relevancy. You know, culturally, you've got to be aware of what all the different nuances are, whether it's respective to language or the visuals you're using, the tone of voice you're using. And I think that's the most important thing. It's a reflection of your brand. If you're showing up in a market and you're ignorant to being locally relevant, that's the big problem. The third piece is then how you can become more locally relevant is with those local insights. So really keeping an ear to the ground, building relationships with customers on the ground, making sure that you're understanding if there's a big trend or something changing in the competitive landscape that you need to be aware of. I think that's super important. Yeah. And I guess super important these days because a lot of tech businesses sell their products globally. You know, we live in a, first of all, a global world, but also tech solutions can be used all across the world. So, you know, a business that starts in America will tend to then branch out into a MIA and an APAC and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, a lot of organizations are thinking about this kind of stuff. If we think about localization itself, and I think we'll touch on this further down the line, but I think a lot of companies tend to think about almost like translation, (laughs) but it's not quite that, is it? So, you know, if we're thinking about a company thinking that they need to then localize, at what point do they actually need to start doing it properly, do you think? There's a few factors and maybe a few questions you can ask yourself. All the things that we kind of just discussed about, is there actually a need to be locally relevant? You've got to be careful. I think this can be a quite a sensitive topic where there are markets that really feel the need to feel special and different. And sometimes this can be just a matter of influence. It's a bit of politics, if you will. How do you make people or teams or markets feel special and that you're going to you know, really customize what you're doing there, but without maybe draining your resources? So it's a balancing act of when you truly, truly need to do something different versus, okay, actually we can kill two birds with one stone. So I'd first ask yourself, you know, are there certain markets or regions that would benefit from having a localized strategy? Do you already have a sales team there? Depending on what your marketing strategy is, if you're doing a lot of, let's say, event-based marketing, or there's a need to have 
people on the ground. Is that creating a business case for you to have someone? Thinking about time zones, you know, oftentimes there are regional marketers in APAC because we simply can't do it from Europe or the States, you know, at the same level of detail. And then I think language is another one, you know, something like a lot of the Asian languages also require local specialization where you can't just use a translator to actually get all the different aspects that are important. So I would consider what parts of the job can be done centrally and where the parts that really do require someone on the ground, ear to the ground, building relationships with sales, being at the events, making sure that they're sense checking all of those cultural needs. Right. I always try and have a practical element to the podcast that I do. Yeah. If we sort of go back to perhaps one of the roles that you had where you were working for a small startup, it was Givergy, wasn't it? So it was a small marketing team, all UK based, but you were actually marketing globally there then. So you know, you probably had limited time, limited resources compared to some of the companies you've worked with. But from that perspective, if we've got people listening who are in that similar sort of setup, mm-hmm. how did you approach localization there then? That's a great question. You know, the team went from, I think I had one marketer with me when I joined. And over the course of a few years, we ended up at about seven by the time I left, but they were all mostly centralized marketing functions. So, you know, you had your designer, your content marketer, your paid media specialists, people focusing on events and demand, social media, et cetera. And so from there, it meant that we were centralizing a lot of the content, the branding, the storytelling that we wanted to do. We were also growing in a lot of new markets. So opening up an office in Hong Kong at the time and one in Australia. Australia, we were expanding to the West Coast of the US. So those same questions I just offered out were sort of the questions I asked myself as well. If I've got one resource I can allocate towards the localization, what market needs this the most, right? What is the market where we've got the biggest targets, the biggest growth opportunity, and having someone on the ground would be a true benefit. And so answering those questions were identified that having someone in New York would be the best fit. So the first thing was hiring someone in New York who could take the global strategy and localize it, right? It was very similar, I guess, to the big rocks, pebbles and sand analogy where she leveraged the majority of the stuff were the big rocks coming from the central team. But then she also needed to create her own campaigns on the ground and her own local demand strategy or field marketing strategy to execute. When it came then to the other markets, they didn't necessarily get the same level of resource. So it was about using the campaign in a box type of tactic where we could make the lift for the sales and customer success people on the ground minimal. You know, they're coming to us going, we want to be doing more marketing. We want to have a bigger presence. We want to improve our social media presence. We want to be at these events, but we can't be sending people around the world all the time. So it really was about making it very simple, giving them templates, really clear instructions to allow them to execute a campaign. An example that comes to mind is, again, this is in the charity sector, fundraising sector was Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday is a big international day in the world of the charity sector. And we wanted to do something meaningful as a brand in every single market. So we created this campaign in a box with clear instructions, sent them out to each sales and success leader, had a kickoff call, right? And made it very easy for them to identify a charity they wanted to work with, to gather the photos, to create a social media campaign, then turn that into a blog post. All of a sudden we had locally relevant content, but we were able to scale that across four or five different markets make it as low lift as possible. And it's like you're training non-marketers to be marketers. Everyone's got it in them, don't they? I think everyone <laughs> thinks they're a marketer anyway. So well, the salespeople definitely do. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> in that example, then you've got UK marketers. You touched on, I think earlier, the fact that, you know, you've got to really understand the local culture and the sort of nuances. I think a lot of organizations 
because of that then tend to stick to the easier markets, English speaking markets as mm-hmm, an example. Mm-hmm. But if you're perhaps going to these areas that perhaps you don't know the culture of the nuances as well, any tips for people to try and find out a little bit more about it to make sure that the marketing is actually landing in that country a bit better? There's a few things. I mean, firstly, I would start with the local relationships on the ground. You know, your salespeople and your customer success people, they're on the front line with your customers. So if you don't speak the language and you can't maybe jump on a customer call or listen to gong calls, which would also be a recommendation, I would spend more time with those people to understand what they're hearing on the ground, making sure that you've got a really strong feedback loop, you know, of competitive landscape, certain product features that are landing aren't, is it down to the messaging? You know, where can you continue to support them to drive that? I'd also maybe look at the data. Data is important and maybe there are some trends that you can garner from looking at the Salesforce data in terms of win-loss analysis, what's working there or not from a marketing perspective. Are there certain channels that are more effective than others that are, again, locally relevant? If you think about you know, even social media, different markets are going to leverage different types of social platforms to achieve their goals. So it doesn't mean you need to be everywhere, but where are your customers playing? And I think you can do that by building rapport even with influencers in these markets on places like LinkedIn or social media. And would you think of it almost like a separate marketing plan and business back in those times then? Do you feel like you almost like need to dedicate some serious time to it mentally as well as sort of physically to make sure that you're actually dedicating enough time to get the entry leaving not the other stuff behind, but obviously, you know, you've built perhaps the stuff that goes into other markets. So you can almost leave it running to a certain degree, but you have to actually almost really get your head in the game with a new market. I think it depends on where it sits as a business priority. You know, what are the targets we have for this market? You know, is it exploratory at the early stages and it's minimum, or do we have big expansion targets on our head? Because you can't be everywhere. You can't spread yourself too thin. If you're a small marketing team, you can't be doing 110% in every market. So there should be a plan. It's a question of how deep is that plan, right? And when you're creating some of the global programs, we really should be planning for that upfront. It shouldn't necessarily be an after fact. It should really be at the start. We're going to put all of our efforts around, again, one of these integrated big rocks. How do we make sure at the start we're thinking about, does it need to be localized? Are we going to do this in more than one language? What are the goals and targets for each of the markets if we're going to put the effort in, right? Are we expecting how many leads or X amount of dollar or pounds from each of these markets for the effort? And if we can't really quantify it, then maybe it needs to come later as an experimentation tactic or something else. Good stuff. So what about these companies doing this marketing? They're doing it from the UK. They're grown as a business, you know, the hiring more marketers and stuff like that. At what point do they then think, okay, well, actually I need somebody in country. Mm-hmm. Not to give you a vague answer here, Matt, but it, there's going to be too many variables for this, right? It's about the company size. It's about the investment. It's about the targets. And it goes back to the centralized versus decentralized planning, right? Depending on what your functions you have, at HQ or Ground Zero, you know, here in London or the UK, do you have the right people? At times, if you've got a role to fill, let's say you need a new content marketer or a new digital marketer or whatever, there's a consideration that could these people wear two hats even? So you've got someone on the ground, but then someone who's also contributing to the global strategy as well. That's one way to think about it too. But you've just got to be careful of everyone's bandwidth. There are no unicorns out there who can do it all. So 
just be respectful of those boundaries. Well, I'm going to re-record that and just send that to a few clients at the moment. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> looking at some of these job descriptions, I think people do think there are unicorns out there. Yeah. But let's yeah. say you have hired somebody in country then. I mean, from yeah. a marketing leader's perspective, how do you make them feel involved if they're perhaps in a different time zone and obviously physically in a different office? Sometimes they're a sole marketer, aren't they? Surrounded by other people. So they are the marketing face of the business over there. How do you make sure they feel involved and sort of supported? I think inclusivity is super, super important. It can be really lonely if you're the only marketer in a region, especially if the time zones aren't in your favor, especially if maybe the language, the business speaking isn't your native language. So there's a lot of factors you need to consider. One approach is, you know, if you're having big team meetings or, you know, regular things to alternate time zones, maybe there'll be some people on the West Coast who can attend at the same time as people from APAC if it's being run during Central European time, but it means that you're inclusive to both sides of the world by rotating those meeting times. There's opportunities to make sure as well when you're having even one-on-one meetings that you're not asking those other people to be the ones to stay up late or get up really, really early. You're also from the centralized office adjusting your schedule as well. And making sure that I think from a language perspective, you're using the shared language of the business. If you're speaking in English, but making comments maybe in French, you know, because there's a lot of people in that team who speak it, you know, make sure everyone can participate in the conversation through Google Docs or whatever it is you're using. There's also opportunities to celebrate your team members, right? And making sure that you challenge that unconscious bias that you might be friendlier or, you know, you've got more camaraderie with the people on the ground that you're seeing in the office and making sure that you're celebrating and highlighting the unique strengths and the contribution of everyone in the team. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I'd love to dig into a little bit of your experience recently because you've worked for bigger organizations. So Hootsuite, Expedia, and now Aircall. And if you think about your transition as a marketer, you've moved more into the integrated mm-hmm, marketing mm-hmm. side of things. And congratulations on your recent promotion as well. Thank you. But in the context of these larger tech companies then, yeah. what is integrated marketing to them then? Because some people will think, hang on a minute, these big organizations, they'll have a content team and a demand gen team and a digital team and an ops team. Why do they need somebody who's in the integrated marketing team? (laughs) I don't want to say it's a new concept, but I think it's a new way of organizing these larger marketing teams. And what I love about it is having that helicopter view about how all the different marketing teams work together. So it really is about removing silos and having that integrated, or you can use the word centralized marketing plan. So within my team, I've got quite a few different functions and they're more of the central functions. I've got the content team, the design team, the web growth team, the programs and campaigns team, SEO, email marketing, lots of fun stuff. (laughs) But what that means is that from the programs and campaigns team, we can identify working very closely with product marketing. Product marketing is kind of fueling us with going, here's what we're doing from a messaging, value proposition, product launch perspective. How do we turn that very product-focused narrative into something that's meaningful and value-based for our customers? And we can make sure that it's a program that can run across the entire funnel to help us reach a variety of different goals. So we can create programs that draw brand awareness and we can centralize some of those efforts into certain markets where it's more relevant maybe than others, all the way down to how we're optimizing our paid campaigns to have this consistent message. What that means is when we're planning, we're really cementing those core themes 
and then working closely with the demand gen or field marketers to say, this really should be fueling your plan. Working with the paid media team to say, this really should be fueling your plan. Working with the PR stakeholders to go, this should be fueling your plan. So everyone should have enough ammunition to go to market, but we're all going to market with the same message, maybe not always at the same time, but within a different level of consistency and harmony instead of the bottoms-up planning that traditionally happens when organizations get larger, you've got different leaders, everyone's focused on their own goal, and it's not necessarily all coming together in the way that it should. So it's about efficiency, scale, and then greater impact when you're actually showing up in market. Great stuff. And having been involved in these teams then, I mean, if you are talking to somebody who you know, is thinking of moving to this kind of structure and model then, what two or three things would you suggest they do to create a really good integrated marketing team then or set that team up for success as well? I think defining the roles and responsibilities at the start is really important. Everyone likes to think that there's a seat at the table for them and there should be a seat at the table for all the right teams, but at the right time. So who's responsible for what? What's the right, I guess, workflows or you know how are the different teams are going to work together? So you bring people in for the right moments. You don't have too many cooks, maybe overcomplicating certain things. And we're really kind of simplifying and setting expectations on how the whole machine's going to operate. That then can be turned into sort of repeatable playbooks or making sure that there really shouldn't be a lot of surprises once everyone gets used to working in this new way. But I'll tell you, it's easier said than done. And people are resistant to change. And I think people who, especially who are maybe in organizations where this is new, it's a challenge of why are you asking me to do something differently? Or why do I all of a sudden have to work from a global plan where I'm a subject matter expert in my own? And I just want to be clear, it's not to take away from anyone's subject matter expertise. If anything, we need subject matter expertise on the channel side, on the regional side, but it's about leveraging those voices for a common goal, right? So no, I don't want to stifle creativity. I don't want to really stifle ideas. It's take all that big thinking, that amazing kind of CRO or optimization or whatever you want to do, but on the shared thing we're all working on today rather than kind of the random thing that popped up and let's just go off over here and do it. Because, you know, I think especially with the economy and the recession and the, everything working against businesses right now that you are doing more with less, you really do have to be more efficient and as a team be more efficient. And that's where I think this type of team really can come together. So start with clear roles and responsibilities, really set expectations, and then try and really cement those workflows and processes within the team. It requires good communication, training, if anything, over-communication. That's probably one of the biggest things I'm saying to the team. I know you feel like you've said it. Say it again, say it again, say it again, say it up, say it down, say it left, say it right, say it to everyone until it sticks. And keep it simple. Less is more in this kind of framework. Love it. So... Pivoting slightly then, last question, if you were hiring somebody into then your integrated marketing team, bearing in mind what we just talked about there, I mean, what sort of skills and attributes would you look for? First, I'll clarify, the integrated marketing team is lots of different teams coming together, right? So back to what I said, it doesn't mean you won't have a specialized person who's a content marketer or a digital marketer or whatever. But if you're asking more to maybe lead an integrated marketing function or really kind of pull it all together... It's someone who really does have a clear, maybe more of a generalist, you kind of, I guess, describe me in the sense where you've got a clear understanding of the marketing mix. You have enough knowledge of each of the channels to understand what needs to happen from them, even if it's not the deep knowledge you'll kind of have in that vertical and an understanding of the full funnel. So again, that helicopter view of how it's all operating. 
I think storytelling is really important because we're talking about how we're all showing up saying the same thing in the market. And that needs to be a story and a narrative, both for what you're bringing to market, but also internally to bring these teams along for the ride. There's a little bit of influence required here. And then I think the relationship and stakeholder management is really, really important. I just used the word influence, but absolutely not everyone's going to be on board from day one. This goes all the way up to how you're maybe influencing even the C-suite to go, hey, this is why we're investing in this thing. It feels different. It's demand gen, but wearing a different hat on top doesn't mean we're not focused on leads and all the, the same KPIs. We're just packaging it up in a slightly different way. So that's super important. And lastly, in order to do all that, once you have your story and you have your people and you have your understanding and your buy-in, it's going to be about project management, right? It can all fall down really easily if you don't have the right workflows and people at the right place at the right time to make it a well-oiled machine, if you will. And do you use specific tools then for the project management side or do you use everything in a sort of marketing automation sort of platform? I mean, I shrug my shoulders, but yes, of course, every business is different, right? So you can use kind of campaign and project management tools like, you know, Monday or Rife or Notion. I'm actually finding the biggest opportunity is when everyone's using the same tools, right? So you can properly have your plan be automated where you've got the right dependencies and triggers in a tool, right? So you're not really overlooking how one team's work may or may not impact another team and people aren't waiting to go, well, when are you going to pull me into the project, right? So in an ideal world, yes, of course. But I've also have marketing project managers on the team as well, which is something that was new to me since I started going into these functions. Again, typically something you see in an agency, but now is really a key requirement in these integrated marketing teams as well. Well, I can imagine the the roles that you almost can't live without now. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Well, I saw a post with Dave Gerhardt talking about a lot of the stuff that you were mentioning there. What skills should you be developing as a B2B marketer right now? And it is things like the storytelling, the influencing, the relationships, all those sort of soft skills, Mm -hmm. rather than the kind of hard stuff that you kind of focus on a little bit earlier on in your career, which is understandable because you want to skill up a little bit. But then you get to a level where actually, you know, the the things you need to develop are the sort of softer personal skills. So it was really interesting hearing you talk about that. If you want to put me and Dave in the same sentence i'll welcome that any day well lisa it's been fascinating to talk to you really interesting to hear about your experience because you've worked in lots of different types of companies from a small startup right the way up to large businesses like hootsuite and aircall and Expedia and these types of companies so it's a fascinating journey so i do really appreciate you sharing your experience and your knowledge with the audience no, thank you, Matt. Appreciate inviting me on. And if anyone has any questions about any of the details or specifics, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to do a one-on-one intro as well. You're a superstar, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time. <laughs>